Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In book 10 of his Confessions, St. Augustine is going to approach one of the classic problems of ancient philosophy that runs through to the present for us. What is human happiness? What will make us happy? What does happiness consist in? What does it require? What is it oriented by. And given all the many conceptions that people do have of happiness, which ones are right and which ones are off base? Now, he is going to frame this first in terms of memory, since this entire book is concerned with these questions of this great capacity of human beings. And he's going to say, we have this notion of the happy life. He says, when I seek you, my God, I seek the happy life. Let me seek you so that my soul may may live. My body lives by my soul. My soul lives by you. So the body is less than the soul. The soul is orienting the body and the soul is oriented towards something else that is not already entirely there within the soul, although the promise of it certainly is. So he says, how then do I seek the happy life? The beata vita, right? Greeks called this eudaimonia, you know, or there was also the the framework of the happy life or the blessed life, right? And this is the way that Augustine is expressing it. Now he says something really interesting here in terms of the orientation, the affective orientation towards the happy life that not everybody necessarily had the concept of. Earlier philosophers would say things like, well, everybody desires the happy life. Augustine is going to say every human being, everybody wills. Volerant, coming from volere, right? The voluntas is one of the central faculties of the human being. It's very extensive in Augustine. Not that people didn't have a conception of this before Augustine, but it's very, very evident in him. So we all not only desire, but one of the modes of that desire, or you might say the desire fits in as a mode of this, is willing, orienting ourselves, choosing, in some respect, the happy life. And he says, this is very interesting as a follow-up in the very same line, no person, nemo in Latin, entirely wills against the happy life. Omnino nolit. Nolit is coming from nolere, which is sort of the opposite of volere, right? You will for something, you will to something. You can also will against something. You can say, nolo, I don't want that. (laughs) What do I want? I don't know, but I don't want that, right? So there's nobody who entirely rejects the happy life. And this is a very important coupling together because you can say, well, listen, if everybody desires or wills the happy life, why aren't we all happy right now? And you can say, well, our wills are divided. We do, in fact, want happiness. Sometimes we can be mixed up about it. 
But, you know, there's other things going on there. We also will other goods that are not going to make us happy because we think they're going to make us happy, but they interfere with genuine happiness. There's a certain perversity in our wills as well that he's going to reference a little bit later on, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. So we'll get into that in a bit. And there's a couple different modalities of this that he discusses. So let's, let's actually give a little context here. He says, is not the happy life that which all will to have, no person entirely wills against. Where have they known it that they in such wise will to possess it? Where have they seen it so that they love it? Truly we have it, but how I do not know, right? So there's modalities of affection towards the happy life. People hope for it. And Augustine says, hoping for it is not bad, right? It's not as good as actually having or experiencing the happy life, but it's certainly better than not being connected with the happy life at all, right? He says, there's a, a way in which a man is happy when he has the happy life. And then there are those who are happy because of hope. This is happiness in a lower way than those who are already happy in fact, or in reality, but it's better than those who are happy, neither in fact, nor in hope. So through hope, we can be made partially happy, you could say, right? Loving it, having not just desire, but actual love for the happy life. There's a lot of different modalities of love and we could go into that. You could say, well, some modalities just are desire. I want that thing, I wanna have it. But there's also like appreciation as well. And then does this mean that we know the happy life? I mean, how can we hope for it or love it? How can we have these affective orientations if we don't already have some idea where those are going? Cognitive direction. We have to know the happy life, don't we, in order to do that? And aren't we remembering it in some way? I mean, we remember all these other things as it turns out. And here we get into a really interesting examination. How? How do we remember the happy life? So first Augustine says, is this just like one who's seen the city of Carthage remembers it? No, why not? Because the happy life is not seen by the eyes. It's not a body. It's not something that we take in through primarily sense impressions, although it could include sense impressions, right? We could have memories of spending time with our friends and family in harmony and, you know, having good food and drink and listening to music. And it was a beautiful summer day and there were odors in the air. And the, the breeze was caressing us, all this sort of stuff, right? We could think back to all sorts of other experiences and say, well, that, that was what the happy life was like. Yes, but that's not the happy life itself. That's not what we're fundamentally oriented towards. So that's not the memory of the happy life. Those are better understood as being memories of being happy or being joyful at a given point in time. Is it like the knowledge that we have, say, he says, in number? Is it like the way we remember numbers? No, because one who holds them in knowledge does not seek to acquire them. Whereas we possess the happy life and knowledge and therefore love it, but still wish to obtain it. So we be, may be actually happy. So, you know, you could say, well, let's push this a little bit. Let's say you really love mathematics, right? You really love working with it. Can't you say that there's an aspect of wanting to hold on to those. Yes, I, I suppose you could say the numbers, you know, remembering theorems, remembering relations between them, remembering what you learned back in calculus or linear algebra or number theory or stuff like that. 
Yes, but you don't possess it in the same way that you possess happiness. So there's a different modality here as well. Well, what about the acts or arts of speech? Augustine, remember, is a trained rhetorician. He has studied philosophy. He's studied grammar. He studied rhetoric. He studied dialectic. He studied all these sorts of things. He remembers them. He says that this is different than like sense impressions because I have the actual things, these arts, these skills within my mind, within my memory. Is that how we remember the happy life? He says, no, because even those who are not skilled speakers recall the thing itself when they hear the word. And many people desire to be eloquent. So it's apparent that this is in their knowledge. But by means of their bodily senses, they've taken note of other people who are finished speakers, have been pleased by them, desire to be such themselves. And he says, they would not have been pleased unless because of some inner knowledge, nor would they have wanted to be eloquent unless they'd been pleased. Whereas we do not perceive the happy life in others by means of any bodily sense. And this actually raises a really interesting question. Well, do we perceive the happy life in others, in those that, you know, perhaps we hear about? Augustine himself telling us these stories, stories within these stories. Or do we perceive it in their lives, people who we live with? And then we say, I want what that person has. If not, then maybe we can't perceive the happy life in anybody except ourselves. But that doesn't make sense. I mean, if that was the case, wouldn't it be kind of a non-starter to say sweeping statements like, the happy life is what all people will, <laughs> right? Can we directly observe the volitions of other people? I mean, this is something that Augustine doesn't completely clarify at this point. Instead, he goes on and he suggests another line of thinking. Is it like the way that we remember joy? What is it like to remember joy? He says, Maybe this is the case. Even when I'm sad, I remember my joys, just as when wretched, I remember the happy life. But I never saw or heard or smelled or tasted or touched joy by a bodily sense. I have experienced it in my mind when I have rejoiced and knowledge of it has clung to my memory and I can remember it sometimes with disgust. Not all joy is necessarily good. Think about the joy and picking on some poor kid in gym class back when you're in middle school and kind of a miserable brat and you took some satisfaction in joining in the club. Oh, you should actually be ashamed of yourself in that case, right? You don't have to just steal pears to do bad things. So he says, sometimes with disgust, sometimes with desire. Sometimes you remember a past joy and you're like, ooh, that was good. Like you think about a really great meal or a wonderful musical experience or, you know, a great romantic interlude or something like that. And you'd be like, ooh, I want more of that sort of thing, even if you're not going to have it. And he goes on and he says, it depends on what we're thinking of. I've been plunged into a sort of joy from all sorts of things. And with, you know, sometimes a sadness, I recall past joy. But let's go back to the happy life. So he says, where then and when did I have experience of the happy life? So I can remember it and love it and long for it. It's not merely myself or the few others, but all of us, all human beings, he reasserts, without exception, want to be happy. Unless we knew this with sure knowledge, some kind of knowledge, we wouldn't want it with such a sure will, a will that we can depend on in ourselves and in others. 
And then he makes a really important distinction here. He says, look, everyone wants to be happy and experience joy. Not everybody gets it the same way. Not everybody's joys are the same. Not everybody conceptualizes the happy life in the same manner. And he's got this great example of, of two people who you ask, hey, you want to be a soldier? Now, being a soldier in the ancient world had certain perks that came with it and a lot of other things that were real obstacles to happiness. You know, you'd have to, especially a Roman soldier, you'd be marching a lot and having to put up with discipline. And so you ask people, do you want to be a soldier? And some of them will be like, yeah, man, and that's what I want. And others will be like, you got to be crazy. There's no way I want to be a soldier. And Augustine says, both of them give these responses. Why? Because they want to be happy. One person conceives of the soldiering life as a means to happiness or as the happy life. Another may say, no, 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 I need to do something completely different. And I definitely don't want that. I do want to be happy. That's just not what the happy life is going to be. So he says, all people agree that they want to be happy, just as they would agree if they're asked that they want to be joyful. And this very joy they call the happy life. So one seeks it in one way, the other in a different way. There is one thing they all strive to attain, that is to have joy. So then the question, well, what is this? And Augustine, at this point in his life, and at Book 10 in the Confessions, can give the best answer, in his view, an answer that not everybody's going to accept. So what is true happiness? Well, he tells us that it is God. It's not the soul. It's not total independence. It's not having every knowledge at your disposal or any of these other things. It's, it's the human being in relation to God. So he says that there's a joy that's not granted to the wicked, but only those who worship you. And now notice this, this cuts out any sort of like transactional, oh, I want happiness. Therefore, I'm going to worship God because God's going to give me that happiness. He says, those who worship you for your own sake, not for the sake of being happy, but for the sake of being connected with what is most truthful, greatest, all that, which will make you happy, right? But if you're trying to get the happiness directly, like a commodity that you bargain for, you're not going to get it. So he says, for whom you yourself are joy. This is the happy life to rejoice over you, to you, and because of you. This is it and there is no other. Those who think that there is another such life pursue another joy. And it's not true joy. It has some connection to joy. It's not totally disconnected, but it's not the real deal. So he says their will is not turned away from a certain image of joy. The, everybody has within them some sort of basic, fundamental, ineradicable orientation towards God. They just don't understand it. And in the next chapter, he talks about truth and he, he says that what is genuine happiness? What is that we're actually looking for? He says, I ask everybody whether they would rather have joy in truth or in falsity. They no more hesitate to say they prefer to have joy in the truth than they hesitate to say they desire to be happy. In fact, for Augustine, he goes on, joy in the truth is the happy life. So this is a really important formula. This doesn't just mean truthful joy, joy also in the truth, taking joy in truth. And now this gets us back to this point, right? Well, how can somebody not want this? How can they want something else instead? And this is the chapter where Augustine tells us a couple of very useful things. He says, it's clear everybody desires to be happy, but why don't they desire to have joy in you, which is the only happy life? He says, well, 
there's this biblical quote that really helps us out here. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So they do not do what they wish. They fall down to what they're able to take and they're satisfied with that. This is a really basic idea of Augustinian moral philosophy that we have to want, desire, will something. We love something. He often frames this in terms of love. And if we're not orienting ourselves to the highest good, that is God, and arranging everything else in relation to God, which is going to mean, you know, sacrificing some genuine goods, which are lesser goods, like, you know, taking pleasure in whatever we want, right? Or taking revenge on enemies. If we decide not to, and we pursue those things, and we leave out the highest good, then we've got a contradiction within our will. We were messed up inside. We have conflicts. And this is going to generate not just sort of action conflicts or volitional conflicts, but also affective conflicts and also cognitive conflicts. We're going to get things wrong in a number of different ways. We're going to have a mistaken set of priorities, right? And so this can be framed in terms of the spirit and the flesh and the divided will. Um, he also goes on and he talks about this in terms of truth. And he says, listen, I've known a lot of people who want to deceive other people. None of them want to be deceived. And so they really do want the truth. They want the truth sort of in the wrong ways, right? And he says, here's an important question. Why then is, the, is it that the truth begets hatred? Why is your man who preaches truth to men become an enemy in their eyes, even though there is love for the happy life? Well, it's because they're messed up. He says, truth is loved in such a way that people who love some other object want what they love to be the truth. And because they don't want to be deceived, they refuse to be convinced that they have been deceived. I mean, it's really interesting to think about this. When people have been conned, right? When they've been taken in, deceived by other people, one of the last things that they want to admit is that they have been taken advantage of, they have been lied to, they've been conned. And when they do it to themselves, they're both the con man and the mark, right? And they lie to themselves about what's actually happening, what it is that they've committed themselves to. They say that pleasure is the only good, or they say that, you know, virtue is the only good. And they leave God out of the picture because God would expect something different. Taking account of God would require them to reprioritize. And so he says, again, there's a conflict, right? They hate the truth for the sake of that very thing which they have loved instead of the truth. They love the truth because it brings light to them. They hate the truth because it reproves them. Because they don't want to be deceived, but wish to deceive. They love it when it shows itself to them, and they hate it when it shows them to themselves, when it reveals to them their own lying, their own deception that's going on. And so, you know, this is quite interesting. What he's saying there is you can't truly enjoy the happy life until you get these things straightened out, these priorities properly reestablished. And and that requires placing God at the apex or at the, the center of things. So this is Augustine's examination of the happy life within the human capacity of memory. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.